If you're planning on going mudden this weekend, I've got a tip for you from our October Issues Shop Notes page. Before you leave on your trip, spray WD-40 on your fenders. It works much like buttering a pan before you bake something. The dirt won't stick, so it's easy to rinse off when you're back on asphalt. If you're not planning on going mudden this weekend, which is a lot more likely, maybe you'd like to smoke some meat. Ash Folk, the pitmaster from Hill Country Barbecue you may remember from our Super Bowl nachos episode, stops back into the testing table this week to play a game we call Can You Smoke It? with a new smoking box you can buy at Williams-Sonoma. You will not believe some of the things we put in there. We also talked to Frank Marks, director of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's Hurricane Research Division, who tells us what benefits there are to hurricanes other than sick waves, bro. Finally, senior home editor Roy Berenson gives us a rundown on the best generators and bratwurst to bring to your football tailgate. We've got everything you need for football, surfing, and mudden season. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler, and this is the most useful podcast ever. So just to introduce you, uh, you are Ash Folk. You're actually one of our first guests to come back. Oh, what? am I? Oh, yes, wow. Wiley, Wiley Dufresne, who's our other chef we have worked with us sometimes, has been here a couple times, and then you're the only other person. Well, chefs come. are so charming. You guys, and you're shows. very charming. Everyone loved you after you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you and also, they were like the best nachos. Those were yeah. good nachos, yeah. <laughs> Those were really good <laughs> yeah. um, So you are the pit master at Hill Country Barbecue. I am the pit master, yep, at Hill Country Barbecue Market in New York. So we are, uh, we got this smoke. Smoking box in it's yeah. uh it's the Fortessa Craft House by Fortessa smoking beautiful. box which just came out it's this beautiful silver box and you use a thing called a smoking gun with it and yeah. we thought we would have you come by and uh, play with it um, what so yeah you have a real smoker what do you use one yeah. of these for we have a, a big smoker that cooks about a, a thousand pounds of meat a day so oh it's uh, a little bigger than this little smoking box. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we use it for like cooking demos if we have to do anything offsite or, uh, you know, like we did a TV spot the other day and we used a smoking gun to sort of create it. We actually had an investor dinner once. And so I filled the room with the smoking gun. Oh, so when wow. they opened the door, they, they smelled the, bar- you know, the barbecue. So it was a very like all in all experience, you know, that's a good <laughs> idea to do at your house. If you like make some barbecue <laughs> exactly. and then you just fill out of everyone's like, this is so hickory. <laughs> How'd you do this? It's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good um, trick. Yeah. yeah, so we have a very packed house today. Um, yeah. We have Lara Sorkonic, our associate editor, who is here. Hi. And uh, Katie McDonald, who is also here. Hi. Hi. And then we have uh, we have our brand new uh, editorial assistant, James Lynch, who is not on a mic yet, but might join us later. Um, and everybody just came by and uh, and thought they would observe us because we're having such a good time. <laughs> so um, let, what should we s- smoke first? We have, a, well, we have like, so many options we ha- here. We have a lot of options. I think we should always start with a cocktail. Oh, I mean, I'm good saying idea. you have a little bourbon here. We do have some bourbon and we have and some very nice, those are actually the Craft House by Fortessa glasses as well. Oh, great. So I think, you know, starting with a little nip of bourbon might be the way to go. Yeah. And this is delicious Jim Bean 12 year. Yeah, and then good. and then we'll go with a, you know, we'll go into tomatoes for a salad maybe. Ooh. Um, Smoked tomatoes in a salad. Yeah, why not? Yeah. What would you put? What would you put with that? Goat cheese. Yeah, goat cheese to mellow it out. Yeah, and then well, depending if it works. I mean, that's that's kind of what we're doing right now. That's true. Will it smoke? Well, yeah, that's the title of this segment is Will It Smoke? Will It It's like, will it blend? Exactly. Well, and there's going to be a lot that don't because smoke's a funny little beast. Smoke really loves to stick to fat, right? So, like, the fattier smoke, smoke really adheres to it really well. It also adheres to sugars pretty well. Um, So, you know, that's in most things. Mm -hmm. Tomatoes can be sweet. So tomatoes can be sweet. So I actually got tomatoes. The tomatoes I got were the little cherries because I thought they'd be a little sweeter and Mm -hmm. possibly... 
Tomatoes do hold smoke pretty well, even though they have a lot of water in them. They hmm. tend to. Do you have to like poke a hole in them? Uh, we'll poke a hole in some, sure. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> we'll, see. we'll do a side by side. So we'll what do are, this the sciencey way. I think we'll start, you know, because there's bourbon is already naturally smoky. I think using like a sweeter smoke, like the apple, okay, might actually add some new flavor to it. So we have what do we have over there? We have apple. So yeah, we've got apple, mesquite, and hickory. Ooh. So hickory is a really powerful smoke. I think that's going to be on the vegetables. Like hickory okay. has a very and mesquite have very distinct strong. Flavors. All right. So, and you guys know the uh, why certain woods go with certain barbecue, right? I do not know that. Well, I'm going to share that with you. <laughs> please, please I'm going to share us. that with you today. So certain woods go with certain barbecue, mostly because that's those are the trees that just grew in the area. Ah. Barbecue is really a, a peasant food, you know. I mean, it's really the food of the people, and they would just use the tools they had around. That's why in, uh, ooh. Ooh, that's a good sound effect. Ooh. Wow. Does it burn your hand, your finger? Oh, my fingers don't burn anymore. I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, I'm snuffing out the smoke because it's getting a little It's quite potent. smoky. That's yeah. very smoky. It smells, so it smells good, very good. It does. I mean, the truth is it's not that smoky no, and it, it dissipates okay. pretty quick. But, I think maybe but the we'll, smell is lasting. That's nice. The smell is nice. Well, yeah. this is apple. Apple has, or I'm We're sorry, this is. Uh, I was going to say, I'm going to smell like yeah. a campfire. This is apple, which is the gonna have a great smell to it. And all mm. all woods you smoke with should be hardwoods, you know, like uh, like apple, mesquite, oak, those kind of woods. Like you never would smoke with pine, you mm-hmm. know, because it's so soft, it just burns up and gets very acrid. Uh-huh. So if you can build furniture out of it, you can probably smoke out of it. <laughs> that is a good tip. <laughs> so if you're ever like in the zombie apocalypse, go to a house with really nice furniture to and smoke just, your yeah, chop it up and find a pig. Yeah, exactly. Should we try it? Yeah. Now, who drinks bourbon neat? Uh, I do, actually. I think you should try it, then. Are you ready? Yeah. I'm opening it. Oh, that is dramatic. That is That's the thing, is when you open it, all the smoke comes out. That I mean, is you like... You were serving that. Like, yeah. You know, That's you amazing. Like, and here's right. your magical drink. Tim, do you want to be, do the honors? Oh, that's good. Was it... <laughs> Does was it taste it s- different than I mean, the... The mouth feels totally different. Really? You oh, know what I'm talking about? That like fills your mouth kind of thing? Wait, I, it is kind of wacky. It kind of like... The smoke is really subtle, though. Well, I will say this is actually designed for cocktails. That's like the idea of it. Yeah. But it's there. Mmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. It's, it's not, not unpleasant it's at not, all. It's nice, yeah. Well, should we try to do a little salad? I think we should definitely. This, so this is the salad here. Okay. Let's and I didn't put the dressing on it, but we, you think we probably should, right? I think put the dressing the next to it, yeah? Oh, yeah. That's a good yeah, idea. Because we don't want the salad to wilt. I mean. Yeah. Nobody Jackie, likes. did you just get lettuce or did you get I toppings? got lettuce and some t- cherry tomatoes and some cucumbers. Oh, oh that's perfect. So and I'm also some uh, some croutons because why not? This is courtesy of the Hearst Cafeteria. Yeah, I did. I went downstairs to the Hearst Cafeteria and that's where I got all of our things. Do you want to grab the, the yellow endive there? That's that, that, that's that one. I thought this because, so endive is interesting because it's a, um, a brassia, and they tend to take on smoke flavor very well. I don't know why, like all of the huh. cabbages and the bitter greens. Interesting. Um, should we put a, some Swedish fish in here too or something? Absolutely. Yeah. Do you want to place our salad on top of a waffle? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just stack it in there. So why not? Let's go for it. Any... Oh, these wa- that looks like a cute waffle. I know. It, it is cute. cute. I kind of want to eat one. Just as it is. <laughs> All right. What else? A marshmallow? Marshmallows. Oh, mar- those are the best marshmallows, too. Um, what else? Is that good? Looks pretty good. All right. This is like the popular mechanics 
breakfast. <laughs> Popular Mechanics breakfast. <laughs> Smoked so our everything in this box. No, we have a cardboard carton of a salad with <laughs> some precariously balanced balsamic dressing. Yeah, it looks a little uh, dangerous. Some endive leaves. To the side, we have a little <laughs> pile of multicolored Swedish fish. <laughs> Two marshmallows and a waffle. And, and waffle. <laughs> I can like totally see this on a menu. It's like waffle, Swedish fish, endive. Brassia. Balsam- <laughs> Balsamic glaze. Uh, what do you guys want to do? You want to do mesquite this time? You said, the, you said that was stronger? Yeah, yeah. That sounds good for vegetables, right? Yeah, I kind of yeah. think so. I think Let's mesquite would be nice. I mean, it's the one that smells the most, li- most like a building on fire, so oh, that's well, pretty so perfect. If we're going to go out, we're going to go out swinging. Yeah, so I, I think the smoking gun wasn't sealed that well, so. Oh, so this should be better. Yeah, it's really going up in there. To be, I will say that I've never set off the smoke alarm in my own apartment using this, so that's good. Well, Although I don't know how much more sensitive this is. Our box is full of smoke. It's full of smoke. It's, you can almost. It's brownish in color. All I can see more, is the waffle. More brown than our last one. Really? All right, what do you guys think? It's, it's good for you. It's soaking. <laughs> It kind of looks like it soaks up a lot of the smoke. Like the smoke really disappears. Right, it after disappears minute. a little bit. So you, you said so smoke. How how does the smoke actually attach to fats and sugars? You know, I mean, is it does it actually like connect to them or it dissolves in it? Or yeah, I mean, it? I'm definitely not Wiley. I'm not a food scientist, <laughs> but um, as far as I know, it it, it denatures the proteins. So kind of what happens is you know you got proteins that are all bound up like this, and the acidity from smoke and often the slow heat. You know, if you're mm-hmm. hot smoking, mm-hmm. we'll sort of straighten them out, make some room, right? And then the smoke sort of weasels its way in, grabs onto it, oh. right? And then as it cools, the proteins close. So that's why you take a very non-tender piece of meat, tough piece of meat, and then you smoke it and it becomes very tender. Two things are happening, obviously. You've got the slow cooking, which is not shocking the proteins, which often tightens proteins. It's just sort of like caressing them into loosening uh-huh. up, right? Uh-huh. He's like, shh, yeah, just, just get I don't generally think of barbecuing as like a gentle thing. But oh, uh, barbecuing yeah. is all gentle. It's all yeah. about gentle. It's just sort of has, it's it's gentle cooking by rough men. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, That should be like the subhead of your book. <laughs> all right, I'm going to get to do it. What do you think? I think it's time. I think it's, I think once you can see it again. We got some forks. Everybody in the room. We do, we have like some forks. Um, they should forward. be, Where where are the forks? Oh, they're oh, here. Right I there. see. I found them. All right, I'm going to hold waffle back <laughs> for dessert. Let's run to our salad course. <laughs> That's funny. We started with a cocktail. Oh, my now gosh. Going to the really? Salad the balsamic vinegar is super smoky. Ooh. Ooh. The salad is smoky. Oh. Subtly so. Lara, you really wanted the smoky salad. That's why. That's part of the I, reason we invited you. I was you. like rattling off things that we needed. Yeah, I was like salad. You got to do a salad. Because if you salad. could make a salad taste anything like meat, I feel like you would just make the world a better place. Yeah. The salad is wicked. Is it's, it? It's cool. Ooh. You're welcome. Did but, any of the uh, Swedish fish make it? Oh, yeah. There's, uh, there's Swedish fish and waffle. And I think there may be a little balsamic vinegar on that marshmallow. But Yeah, we tried. Mmm. It's a little smoky, a little tiny. Mm-hmm. But not as much as the endive, though, right? Mm-mm, no. And this fish was actually right by the hole that the smoke goes in. Mm-hmm. So It smells smoky. Oh, I taste a lot of smoke. This is amazing. I love this thing. Where, where can you where can you get this? So uh, I think Williams-Sonoma is like the main carrier. Mm-hmm. It's 200 bucks. Um, Does that include the smoke gun, or is that just for the box? That is 
for includes the smoking gun. Okay. Oh wow, that's actually yeah, because the smoking gun's about a hundred bucks, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So that's. I mean, and this thing is. I mean, it really is beautiful. Yeah. Oh yeah, you could leave that on your counter and. Yeah. There's probably gonna be a fight here among everyone to see who gets to keep that one. I mean, I'm a big Florida State fan. That might alienate some of our podcast listeners, but um, go Florida State. Um, but it, <laughs> tailgating down there is huge um, in all the southern football schools. And you go around on game day, and it is just, I mean, you can hear the generators going, and people have the tents, and they are making bratwurst, and they are, you know, throwing footballs around, and it is just bonkers, the best Saturday ever. And so I thought I would invite you on to uh, tell Roy to tell us about generators because I wouldn't know what to get. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we did the bratwurst test. That we could <laughs> do we no, really? No, no. <laughs> which yeah, which bratwurst do I get? More importantly, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, t- typically, um, for tailgating, there is a suitcase size generator. It's called an inverter, oh. and um, they're very small. They're very compact. Uh, they produce plenty of power for um, for tailgating. Okay. And so, how well, how much could I run on this? Like, what? Oh. Say, I want to run like, oh, I don't even know, like some lights and a. Uh, oh like yeah. A, no, they'll they'll power. Like a projector. Yeah. No, they'll go up to 15 amps. Uh, okay. So the, easily within range of anything you're going to power, um, at at you know at a tailgating function. The thing is this: the more you power. Um, the louder any generator is. Oh. So what happens with generators is that they run quietly, and when you apply an electrical load, the generator ramps up. Uh, its speed increases, that is, to meet that load. Oh. Uh, so I had I did not know that. Yeah, so, I mean, the generator's just sort of put, 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 putting there. You know, inverter generators make almost no, I mean, they're, they're so quiet, you could easily have a conversation while that thing is running in the background. In fact, they're, they're all over the streets of New York, the, the food vendors that yeah. need, uh, with those stainless steel carts. Yep. Oh, yeah, right. That's okay. That little engine noise that you hear is their inverter generator running. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, they're completely self-contained. They have a little gas tank, a little combustion engine. And um, essentially an alternator and the inverter to produce, um, you know, this filtered alternating current. Yeah. Um, how much would one of these cost? And, like, what's a brand that makes it? A good brand? Well, I mean, there, there are many good brands out there. Um, we, we've had uh, very good luck with uh, Generac okay. and Honda. Uh, Honda actually really... Um, you know, was a pioneer with these products. And um, so they've done very well in our tests, as has, you know, met, you know several other brands. Briggs & Stratton makes uh, a very good and inexpensive, inexpensive, I mean, several hundred dollars with the higher-end units, you know, probably pushing, I don't know, 800 900 maybe even $1,000. Mm. Now, yeah, if, 
some podcast listeners out there may say, well, that was a very vague explanation, you know, <laughs> of the mechanics of these things. I, I'd have to look it up. You know, it's yeah, not something yeah. I, I keep, you know, uh, on the tip of my tongue. You yeah, know, I, you're not a you're not a generator expert. But, no, I'm not. A, I, but you are a bratwurst expert. Yeah, a bratwurst, right? <laughs> the, of the two of the two topics, I'd rather be. You know the bratwurst expert, <laughs> bratwurst editor. What right? uh, what is what is uh, in your consideration the most important part of a bratwurst? Well, I th- I, I think you're going to look for um, a good crisp uh, skin on yeah, it, and it's the and they get that yeah that casing has yeah. got to be good and crisp. You're you're looking for a, a slightly salty and smoky, but not too <laughs> greasy. You know, like the the filling has got to be, you know, have that that traditional bratwurst taste yeah um so and there you have there you have it inverter generator and a smoky salty crisp casing bratwurst that's exactly right (laughs) keys to happiness in life you know (laughs) tailgating you know tailgating in the fall we were talking the other day i'm actually from florida and was just in the keys and missed hermine by like a a couple of hours Hermine? you got to get your French, Hermine. Hermine. I missed Hermine by a couple of hours, um, like flew around it. And, and I, you know, we were talking about, like, why hurricanes, there's just such a scourge, and you, they are, they're terrible for communities, they're terrible for housing. Um, and we were trying to figure out, like, we, there has to be some reason, like a forest fire, why these things happen, or there have to be some benefits of it. Um, so we oh, thought we'd Uncle call... Nate doesn't care about humans. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, That's basically it, and it's part of Mother Nature, and it's a restoration process. Really? Well, think of it this way. What does the storm do? It goes in and removes the fragile parts of the ecosystem so that new growth can come back. So it's kind of like a... We happen to interrupt that. Right, like a survival of the fittest sort of thing. Although they're, uh, they're doing that to us, too. Survival of the fittest homes. Well, and that's true. Just so I get your title straight. You are the director of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's Hurricane Research Division. That's Correct. right? Correct. Uh, in, in blunt terms, I lead all the hurricane research in the U.S. government, so to speak. So you're the guy to ask. We've done just about everything that has to do with hurricanes. Our focus right now, though, is imp- improving prediction. Okay. So, uh, you know, the Weather Service, the Hurricane Center, uses numerical models as their main guidance. Uh, The observations we take are really kind of like situational awareness, like when your doctor puts a stethoscope in and looks at your ears and your throat and, you know, says, oh, okay, he sees what you see. Mm -hmm. But uh, the next step is the forecast, is the prediction. And so that, to do that, the best tools we have are numerical models, which simulate (coughs) kind of the weather evolution uh, they start every, we run them every six hours, uh, and we start with the best analysis we have, and then we run the equations forward in time to five to ten days. And, you know, that the evolution of the vortex or the storm in that forecast is the guidance that goes to the hurricane center so they can develop their track and intensity predictions. Wow. So, um, so this isn't, I mean, you hear something like, you know, hurricane research and it sounds pretty dangerous but it sounds maybe like a lot of it is more kind of predictive modeling than actually like tornado chasing that's not true also i mean my team is also the team that goes out and flies in the plane oh my god we go out and fly in the NOAA research aircraft and collect the observations 
uh, you know, we're at a point, and now we're testing, you know, unmanned aerial vehicles. We have a Global Hawk, and we have ones we can throw out the plane that are autonomous and will fly around and send us data. But uh, we still go out and fly in those aircraft. Uh, what's that? What's that like? Um, I'll use a quote from Winston Churchill about war. It's about ninety-five percent boredom and five percent sheer terror. How's that? <laughs> Uh, most of the time, you're flying in cloud and it's dark and dreary, uh, but you're out there. We're flying. How many times have you flown to Europe? Um, I, five, five-ish. Okay, so you know that's an eight- or nine-hour flight. Right. That's a typical hurricane flight. Mm. So you take off and you land at the same place and you're up there for that long. Uh, and in that time, we'll go in and out of the storm, you know, four, five, six, seven times. Um depending on how far away we have to go to get them. Um, and our planes are based in Tampa, mm -hmm. uh, but we can operate out of St. Croix, Barbados, Bermuda. Uh, we can go over to Mexico and op operate out of La Paz, or we can go down to uh, on, uh, um, Costa Rica and operate if we have to cover different areas. Um, so, you know, we get around, so to speak. Right. Yeah, so, okay, so you were saying that there's, it's kind of like a, a culling is what's good about hurricanes. Um, well, there's a, there's a number of things that go on. I mean, that's the natural process. Uh, you know, barrier islands are changed by storms. and I mean, hurricanes have been around a lot longer than man. Let's mm -hmm. put it that way. Mm -hmm. uh, and so man has started to interrupt how the natural process works by trying to mitigate <laughs> Mother Nature's actions. Uh -huh. uh, but a lot of things happening. I mean, I just did a joint paper with a group from Purdue where they were looking at the impact of tropical cyclone landfall raining on the crop yields. And we would find what we found was, in general, landfalling tropical cyclones don't do a lot for the crop yields in the, in the Corn Belt, but in seasons where they have droughts or they're in a drought condition, they can make a big difference. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, they bring rain, particularly, you know, sometimes too much, but in areas where there's having a drought, uh, such as the southeast U.S. before Ermin came through, um, and now they're getting Julia, uh, some more rain, um, you know, they, they bring rain to areas that uh, may need rain. Um, they help, you know, which helps with our agriculture, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, thinking about how it benefits man uh, other than nature. But in the terms of natural processes, uh, it's part of the replenishment and rejuvenation of the ecosystem. Uh, for example, after Hurricane Andrew in South Florida, we lost all these trees. And what happened was all of a sudden the canopy was gone. We had a lot of sunlight. And what happened? All these strange foreign seeds that were brought in by the wind started growing like crazy. You know, the Brazilian peppers and all, all oh. these, uh, you know, so it, it sets up for a whole new growth period. Right. Uh, another thing that happened in Hurricane Andrew was that they were very concerned about was the coral reefs in, in uh, Biscayne Bay. The storm surge went through there and knocked all the reefs down, a lot of the reef uh, structure down you know, the, uh, the, the dead coral, you know, the coral itself. Mm -hmm. uh, but what ha And they were very concerned that that was going to damage the, uh, you know, the national park down there where people go and snorkel and stuff. And what they found was within six months, all those broken bits 
hitting the surface started growing new coral branches. Oh. So it was like a replenishment like process. Yeah, it, it knocked down old stuff and new stuff grows. Uh, so it's a natural process, this, you know, stripping out the trees and, you know, it's kind of like forest fires, if you think about it. Right. They're, you know, yes, they impinge upon our life, like the one out in California, because we built houses in places where, you know, Mother Nature were encroaching on the natural process again. And so when we have a forest fire, yes, it was started by somebody who didn't take care of their campfire. That's man again screwing up. But the fire itself is a rejuvenation process. Uh, down here in Florida, we have all these big pine trees. And what happens is a lot of the growth builds up underneath that and chokes out, you know, the growth of the pine trees, new pine trees. So when you have a fire, it cleans out all that detritus and dead leaves and uh, branches and pine needles, and then new growth can happen. Right. Right. So I mean, it's a similar so sort it, of. It's a very similar process with the hurricane. I mean, the hurricane is part of the, natu- the nat- natural process. Yeah. I was actually reading. It's funny because you always think. Um, that it's that it's eroding the sand, and I was reading before I came in here that it actually oh, deposits sand on the intern on like the inside of the barrier islands. Correct, and where the the problems start to lie in terms of the uh, barrier islands is the fact that we put structures on them, whether they be groins or docks or hotels, as in Miami Beach, that uh, then alters that process. Oh, interesting. In other words, we're blocking that process from happening because we have structures in the way. So we don't want the sand to move, but the sand has naturally been moving all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, barrier islands are built like um, a good example was uh, you go in the New Orleans area after, I can't remember whether it was Camille or Katrina. There were islands, of course, cut and new cuts put in islands and stuff. But then the fish, you know, come back in certain ways. Uh, I had an interesting, um, I, f- I forget what hurricane it was. I think it was in the 05 or 06. I got a bunch of letters from, we get letters from high schools or middle schools, and one of the questions that struck me was, Dr. Marks, what happens to the fish? Mm-hmm. What do fish do when a hurricane I've always wondered them? that, too, yeah. And so we have a marine biology group here, and I talked to them, and um, what they told me was anecdotal Im- evidence when a hurricane went up the west coast of Florida, they noticed they had they were sampling, you know, monitoring fish. They had acoustic sensors out there and all sorts of stuff. They were, I can't remember whether it was, uh, uh, I can't it wasn't redfish. It was one of these other snapper. It was one of the snappers. Mm-hmm. And they noticed that um, the noise in the water went way up as the hurricane went over. So, yes, the fish were excited, but what was happening is as the hurricane goes over, it's a pump on the surface of the water. Mm -hmm. So what happens is you get what we call divergence, or out moving on the surface of the water, the fluid wants to move outward as the storm swirls over it. And what that acts as, it draws air, uh, water from below. It's pumping water out, so water from below has to come up and replace it. And that water is rich in nutrients and cooler. So it's like an aquarium pump almost. Right. So what happens is, and fishermen have known this for centuries, if you go behind the storm, the fishing is amazing. 
because all the nutrients come up, the fish get all excited, and, and they're feeding. And they're, it, the right time to catch fish is right then. That is so funny that you say that because I was just down... Like I was just down in the Keys, like I was saying, and uh, I, I went to the turtle sea turtle hospital. And they were saying about they were tracking one turtle, and I forget what kind. It might have been a loggerhead. I don't remember. And they had, they had put a little tracker on it, and it followed this one hurricane all the way up the eastern seaboard. And I was going to ask you why it might do that, and I guess that probably explains it. Yeah, there's a lot of nutrients coming up. So cool. Well, do you, So you live in Florida. Is your house hurricane-proof? Yes, it is. <laughs> Do you I live near the coast? I have shutters, and I've had them for about 12 or 15 years. That's, I mean, My wife can wise. close them in five minutes. Wow. Um, that's, I feel like, you know, it would be really ironic if you were not prepared for a hurricane. No, and I people. can tell you, every spring, I go out there with lithium grease to grease the tracks, and I start opening and closing them, and all my neighbors start looking out the window and saying, what is he doing? <laughs> they're, probably, they're probably making sure they do whatever you do. Well, and that's the way I look at it. That's part of my hurricane awareness. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much for talking to me. Um, and, you know, best of luck with all your work, and thanks for doing it. No, it's uh, my pleasure. Okay, so we brought Roy Berenson back in. Uh, you were here earlier talking to us about uh, tailgating. But um, I have another question, which is I have been working on this stupid accent door in my apartment for some time, and it's, it's a cupboard door. It's big. It's like a, a small closet, let's say. And I painted it and painted another color and then sanded it and made it you know, look kind of antiqued and put new hardware on it and everything. And in the course of doing this, I realized that my landlord had painted over the hinges and I could not get the paint off and they were gross and some of them were broken. So I replaced the hinges. Um, and the, this, is a, this is a door that has two lower parts, you know, two panels. Have, panels, thank you, see? <laughs> two <laughs> lower door things. Um, two lower panels that open uh, like a, well, they, they're, they're, they just open straight out. Okay. Like they, a W, I guess. Okay. Right? Yeah, all that right. That makes sense? Yeah. Um, and then there's the same on the top. Um, so the point here is, <laughs> this is unnecessary to, to understand. <laughs> the point here is I hung, there's four doors, and I hung three of the doors, and they're perfect, and they fit great. The fourth door, the hinge is a little, it didn't quite go in the right way. Okay. And so now the door sticks huh. when I close it. Um, and it, it closes, but it just, it's not yeah, it smooth. Sti- yeah, it sticks. So yeah. what do I do? Do I take the hinges off and put them back, try to get it to fit, or do I plane it, or how do, what do I do? Yeah, I mean, all, all of the above are, are likely um, solutions. Uh, doors are funny things, you know, because you have this, 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 let's say, we'll just call it a slab, you know, yeah. and it's swinging vertically. Um, now i got to introduce a term here, plumb. Uh-huh. Plum is the line of gravity. There are three things that, that carpenters concern themselves with, right. principally with not just carpenters, but people who build things. Plum is the line of gravity. Level is the line of the horizon. Mm-hmm. And square are where those two lines meet at a 90 degree angle. Uh-huh. Uh, so if it, or, or if any two lines meet at a 90 degree angle, that's square. 
with a door hanging on a hinge, all of those can come into play uh-huh. uh, or come into play, uh, need to be considered. Right. So what you do, I, I'm not sure in this case, um, it's a, a little bit tricky. With a, with a room door or a closet door, especially if it's lighted, you turn off the light on one side mm-hmm. and you light the door on the other side and you try to look at the door so that you see a thin sliver of light coming through. Does that make sense? Uh, when, uh-huh. you, when you try and shut the door, um, you might be able to do like this. Like under it? Yeah, oh, okay. under it or or to the side. Uh-huh. Sometimes you can, uh, if it's in a room that doesn't have an overhead light, you can take a floor lamp and just mm-hmm. and just position it by the door. So I could door. put a flashlight in there. Yeah. Okay. Well, exactly. You want to look at it from a dark side, obviously, or or less well-lighted side, uh-huh. so that you can actually see this thin sliver of light that will tell you um, very accurately where the door is, is sticking. It's it's the oldest carpenter's trick in the book. Mm-hmm. What you do there is from there is typically take the door off. Um, most doors are held uh, with a hinge that consists of two halves. Mm-hmm. One half stays on the jam, one half stays on the door, and they're connected with something called a hinge pin. Mm-hmm. So you take out the hinge pin, or however however many hinge pins you take out. <coughs> Excuse me. You take out the hinge pins, take off the door, and then you either remove the paint or you actually saw or plane some wood away uh-huh. where, where it's sticking. Right. Uh, in most cases, it's pretty straightforward right you know um in some cases uh you take the wood you split the difference if there's too much material to remove in many cases it's just paint Mm -hmm. so you scrape the paint off the edge of the door uh, and scrape the paint off what's called the jam that's where the the door the thing that the door is hung in yeah does that make sense yeah that makes sense yeah yeah. so so you look at it and you're basically just trying to figure out where the sticking point is by doing this yeah sometimes the door will have scuff marks on the top yep. and on the edge where it's sticking. Now, there's a whole bunch of other, uh, for lack of a better word, door malfunctions that... that uh, door malfunctions. Yeah. That sounds like a band I'd go see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds you know like the a, door malfunction show? Yeah, yeah it's a, they're, they're a, sle- yeah, a, they're a, a garage... Uh, a, gar- a, a garage sleaze, punk band. A garage punk <laughs> sleaze uh, jazz funk uh, uh, fusion but, yeah. uh, band. Um, they're good. I, I, yeah, yeah, so I'm they're, in they're very good. My, yeah, yeah, my it's brother a, does lighting for them. Yeah, it's an acquired uh, <laughs> taste. Uh, anyway, um, so there's other stuff that goes on, like loose hinges and um, you know other other problems that we you know we can't take the time to discuss here. Maybe do- door malfunctions part two. Yeah, you know? well, yeah, we can do that. Greatest hits. <laughs> Greatest <laughs> hits of door malfunctions. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> awesome. That's our show, y'all. The most useful podcast ever is produced by the staff of Popular Mechanics and edited by Jesse Wright Mendoza. We'd like to thank Sarah Bentley and Andy Bowers from Panoply and Popular Mechanics Editor-in-Chief Ryan D'Agostino. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a comment. We'd love to know what you think. And if you want to read more about our smoking box, check out Popular Mechanics Holiday Gift Guide. It'll be out in December. You can also check out our website, popularmechanics.com. While you're there, subscribe to the print and digital edition of Popular Mechanics Magazine for just $13.99 a year. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler. Thanks for listening.